You are listening to the Savage Fincast, episode 113, an interview with Dean Hapspiel and Dave Kelly. Chicago. A criminal mastermind called Overlord held our city in its terrifying grip. Ordinary cops were losing the battle against Overlord's super freaks and mutants. Then, a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. Now we have a fighting chance. Now we have the dragon. This is the Savage Fincast, the show that won't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. My name is Jim Purcell. I'm Craig Olson. I'm Raven Perez. Uh, And we are here for a very special episode of the Savage Fincast, the internet's only Savage Dragon-related, Eric Larson-related podcast. We're going to be interviewing uh, a really interesting couple of comic creators. We are joined with uh, creator of the Red Hook, uh, Dean Haspiel. And creator of Night, the Night Watchman, Dave Kelly, uh, who of course have come together to produce a series of backups for Savage Dragon over the last several issues. I was going to say several months, but we know how that actually goes. <laughs> uh, so we are uh, going to go right into the interview, as previously recorded, and I uh, hope you enjoy. All right, so uh, we're here with Dave Kelly, Dean Haspiel, uh, writers for... Uh, the Bride of Wax uh, backup with uh, Red Hook and some characters from the Night Watchman series, both uh, uh, create their own characters from the two. Um, I'm very familiar with Dean's work. Dave's stuff was new to me, and uh, I, I got to go back and, and read through uh, his own comic and also revisited a lot of the Red Hook uh, stuff to get myself kind of immersed into this backup, which was a fun jaunt over Savage Dragon uh, 259, 260, and 261. So uh, welcome to the show, guys. I'm really looking forward to kind of talking to you about the series, picking your brain about your own characters, and, and just getting into Savage Dragon and how you got involved in this. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for doing a deep dive, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm almost ashamed to say that. I, so I read the first trade of the Red Hook, and I guess I just never put two and two together. That there were so many other, uh, I guess, seasons, what you would call it, on, on the Webtoons website. And I also didn't understand how connected it was to other characters. I'm thinking of... Uh, is it the Aquarius or Aquaria? Um, All right, so I think this is, if I may, I might help sure. arrange what, what's the disarray that is, is the Red Hook. So, uh, you know, not to diss, I'm not dissing Webtoon here, but one of the things that Webtoons, I think, made a mistake at doing was the four and a half seasons, or let's call them five seasons, I did of the Red Hook on Webtoons are all titled differently. Right. 
whereas most of their series, they'll have a season and then they'll add, you know, 26 more episodes or however many episodes it is per season to the pre-existing title. Uh, for some reason, they wanted me early on to go from Red Hook and then season two would be called something else. And then if I did future seasons, we called them something else. And the order of the Red Hook on the webtoon is the Red Hook, season one. Season two is called Warcraft. Uh, season three is called Starcross. Season four is called Blackout. And season five is called uh, Post Traumatic Superhero Disorder, PTSD for short. But it got smudged in with black at the end of Blackout, right? But what it really should have been is the Red Hook all the way through those stories, those seasons, okay? So a lot of people didn't know there was a second season, a third, a fourth, whatever, right? So, and eventually, I think I convinced them, I think if you go to the end of all those seasons, it might say, go read War Cry or go read whatever, right? Yeah, right. It says it right in the beginning now. Oh, good. So, but that kind of messed up, you know, my metrics, my numbers. People didn't realize that War Cry was with the Red Hook comic and so on and so forth. Um, also, to speak to Aquaria, that's a character I, I very slightly co-created with uh, Adam McGovern, the writer, uh, and um, Paolo Leandri, I think, the artist, right? A very Kirby-esque type style art. And the reason I think you're bringing it up is because that character has appeared as a backup in Savage Dragon, I think, yeah. about two times now. So, yeah, it- and there's a loose connection that Aquaria never outright said that Aquaria is in New Brooklyn, but basically Aquaria is in New Brooklyn. We just never really settled on that, uh, me, me and Adam. And and every time we talk, it's as if Aquaria is a part of this New Brooklyn universe. And just to go back to Webtoon for a second, sorry, there's a lot of minutiae for your listeners. Um, there, there's two other characters associated to the New Brooklyn universe that the Red Hook is a part of on Webtoon, which is the Purple Heart um, and the Brooklyn Knight. And so those were like the three characters and those were other creative teams. Um, and, uh, and the Purple Heart by Vito Del Sante and Ricardo Venancio. And um, uh, uh, the Brooklyn Knight was uh, written and co-created by the late Seth Kushner, who was a former studio mate of mine who passed away and drawn by Seamus Bial and Jason Gunvor. So, so out, and then in fact, the Red Hook also appeared in a little mini solo story alone in the back of Savage Dragon as well. So, right, right. so did did Webtoons? I don't know how Webtoons worked. Did Webtoons approach all of you guys to like create this shared universe, or did it just happen to end up at Webtoons because it was a platform that was? Uh, it's a good question because, like, where did that come from, right? Um, so uh, Tom Akel was the editor that approached me when he worked there. And I think he was basically trying to recruit certain American artists to the American platform or version of Webtoon. Right. Okay? And he knew that I was a webcomics guy since at least 2006 when I founded a, and, and curated Activate on LiveJournal blogging platform. And then we started our own website after that. So that was a webcomics site. And then I've also done stuff with Zuda and... You know, I've done digital comics. I've done, you know, uh, web comics basically since 2006. A lot of the majority of my work started as a web comic. And so when Tom approached me and said to pitch something, I pitched him about two or three things. And the one he liked the most was the Red Hook. 
And then I, I was sit, you know, I was at a studio with other uh, creators, and we had been thinking about building out this kind of universe that I had called New Brooklyn. And I basically wooed and convinced Tom Hakel and Webtoon to uh, greenlight not one series, but three, starting with the Red Hook, launching the New, new Brooklyn universe. Uh, and then I believe it was then the Purple Heart and the Brooklyn Knight. Um, but as it was kind of building out, I've got other friends I'm working with and talking to, right? And like Adam McGovern with Aquarius. And then eventually Dave Kelly um, uh, approached me about doing a, a crossover with the Night Watchman, his character. And that's where we co-created uh, Luna, which appears in the current three-part story, Bride of Wax. Right. We, we, we've actually um, worked on several uh, crossover ideas with the Red Book and, and his characters. And I don't know if uh, Dave wants to speak on that at all. Well, the fun part is, you know, we're talking about uh, a story that we started two years ago, right before COVID insanity. And uh, I have to go back and do a lot of rethinking today about what the heck actually happened. How did we start this story? And, you know, here we are two years later and it's finally out there. But, you know, Dean and I had such a great uh, collaboration doing the crossover that, you know, I think we wanted to do something else. We wanted to elevate the profile of the crossover a little bit. So, you know, we thought it'd be cool to take Red Hook back to where he came from in Savage Dragon and talk to Larson about doing a backup story. And we knew we wanted to keep it short and tight and fun. So we just kind of came up with this very irreverent Valentine's Day tale. And it's really a Red Hook story. Dragon, Luna, they all kind of pop in for a cameo. And we use some of the villains from the crossover. But it was fun to be able to write a Red Hook story. It was very different for me. I appreciate that. So back in, I guess it was probably, what, 2016, the first Red Hook story in the backup of Savage Dragon. I don't know if it was the first printed story, but, uh, well, you had a trade, but well, I don't know. Uh, I wanted to ask that question real quick because I actually was going over the uh, the, cre the credits page in the, in the trade paperback I got and see that it was credited in uh, Dark Horse Presents. And actually, I have a recollection of reading that story in Dark Horse Presents back when it came out. Uh, of course, that's that's not a is that Jim? Jim. That, That's uh, me. I was looking at the indicia and, and trying to figure it out. There was a three-part story I did in Dark Horse Presents called Emotional Ebola <laughs> um, that was reprinted in the first volume of The Red Hook. And at the very end of it is, I think, a, um, a six-page story uh, that is one of basically the first Red Hook story I did in 2012, just kind of winging it and trying to figure out what this character was for me. Uh, and I don't know if that the six page version or the four page version, because I added a, a bookend, a, a, a front page and a, and a back page to this middle story. And I can't remember if all six pages were, were printed in Savage Dragon backup or not. Um, but also, um, I mean, just to speak real quickly to where, where uh, the Red Hook comes from, I, I sometimes go to this residency called Yaddo in Saratoga Springs, New York. And I, when I go there, one of the things I want to do is not do comics. I want to write a novel. I want to write a play. I want to just do something else besides comics. I'm always doing comics, which is great. But after a while, it can drive you a little nuts, you know, just working in one format. And... So as a palate cleanser, 
the first night I was at Yado in, I don't know, the summer of 2012, I had this kind of thing scratching the back of my head. Uh, and it was like, well, what if two of my favorite cartoonists, Jack Kirby and Alex Toth, got together and created a character? And I thought about that. And somehow the Red Hook arrived. It was basically a super thief who's not really a bad guy, you know, he's just a thief, you know, and, and, at the, and you know, he, he didn't even have these, some of these powers that are granted him in the first season. But I was just playing with this idea. It was kind of a cross between, like, Daredevil, Wildcat, and the Fox. And, in fact, that story I drew was kind of like what got me the Fox gig that I would eventually do for Archie uh, for a few years. And um, so some people think, oh, you're just doing a version of the Fox because of the ears, and it's like a red version, and he's blue, or whatever. And no, I mean, he was semi-influenced visually. Uh, but, yeah, I actually did... Red Hook before I ever did the Fox, and and it was like kind of an audition piece, as it were. Um, but yeah, that was that's what I think finally. Uh, and I it, it was the first print uh, printing of, of a Red Hook story, possibly in Savage Dragon. I think so. And how did you link up with Eric on that? Was that something that you just kind of showed Eric? And so, would you what do you think? Would you run it in the back, or was he? You know, Eric. Eric I love Eric Larson. He's just, he, he is what he is, you know? Like, there's no bones about it. With Super him. blunt. <laughs> blunt and just, you know, and I, I can't, re- I, I had met him and we hit it off. And I'm trying to remember, like, I, I guess I must have had his email and I know that he does backups. And sometimes it just seems like he's, you know, a friend will reach out and, you know, put something back there. So, in the spirit of that, I think I just wrote him and said, hey, I got this short story. Do you have a space for it? And, you know, like a week or so goes by, and he goes, yes, send me the files for, it might have been something that was immediate or like months off, I don't remember at the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like he's paying anything, it's just the privilege of being in the back and getting some eyes on it, you know? And and that's what I I think, you know, we've spoken about is that we what we love about Savage Dragon you know, not only is the main story, but getting a taste of these backups and getting exposed to things you would have maybe kind of glanced over and not really picked up off the stands. And with uh, Red Hook, like I said, I'm ashamed that I didn't dive into the webtoons. I just didn't know about it. I had the first trade, but I actually prefer the webtoons version of scrolling down and seeing that. And then having four seasons just to dive into it's so the characters are so diverse. The you know you go from street level you know hero to a cosmic kind of story. It it in many ways kind of mirrors what I like about Savage Dragon and Jack Kirby's work and things like that. So you know I think it's perfect for fans of Savage Dragon. You know just the sheer amount of different characters, just the the love of having you know a fisticuff and a fight, but then have just more than that, you know, is there's an yeah, underlying love story. Like you said, it, it, it's street level, it's cosmic, it's romance, it's got a lot of diverse characters. The, the Red Hook almost, almost is, I mean, it's his point of view, you know, but there's so many cool characters that happen. And, you know, I barely scratched the surface of that in that little backup. And in fact, I don't even think I'd say it's a webtoon comic. Like, you would yeah. never know. That's, we didn't, I, I didn't know at least. <laughs> And, and that, that's something that Eric doesn't necessarily do. He doesn't, you know, you know, in the letters page, there's going to be some back matter 
but it's not really advertised. You know, it's just right. whatever he got that month or something, right? Um, so, yeah, I really appreciate that, you know, you, you, again, doing a deep dive and discovering this stuff. And I feel like, you know, Webtoon is so popular, but one of the things about Webtoon is it has a million comics on it. You can easily get lost, even if you're up on the banner, the top banner for two weeks. You know, web, web comics readers are very fickle, you know, like, yeah. like what they like. Uh, it's free, but they still complain, you know, whatever. Um, and so I, and, and with Image Comics publishing the first two volumes, we kind of put a hold on it because it wasn't doing that well in the comic shop because it was, it is a free web comic online on your phone right now in your pocket. And then this volume will come out once a year. And, you know, there's only so much promotion I can do, you know, uh, grassroots style. And so I, I put a hold on it because I figured, well, let me just publish like an omnibus somehow at some, some yeah. point. That'll be the image or someone else. But let, let me tell this new Brooklyn saga, you know, about the Red Hook. Now that, it's, that, now that that story is done, and, and don't get me wrong, I have a lot more stories to tell. It's just not going to be a webtoon anymore. And then I got to figure out a publishing plan, you know, and, and I do think it's a print publishing plan because, uh, you know, I wasn't in the comic shop for a while and I used to be, you know, a semi, you know, visitor in the comic shop, you know, with my work. So, but, but thankfully Dave Kelly kind of keep, you know, working with Dave, you know, there's a little cameo here. He comes out once in the blue, you know, like, and, and Dave t talk about the first, uh, it was like a was it a forty page story the first the, the first crossover? It was forty eight pages. Forty eight pages. Forty eight yeah. pages. Yeah. Well, I remember being in the studio with you and Brett Hobson, and it was right after issue seven of Tales of the Night Watchman came out, and we were uh, we were just chatting. I think one of us. I thought it was you, but this is one of those things in hindsight. Like I feel you came to me, you feel that I came to you, but we started discussing the crossover that day. Probably. And, uh, it just seemed like it just seemed like the right idea, and it would always it had always but, been in the back of my mind. You, you're reminding me. I think one of the things I was pitching was like, you have a Brooklyn character, I have a Brooklyn character, and you know there are some Brooklyn characters starting to emerge even more so. And with the Brooklyn, new Brooklyn universe, I was like, they should have a, a little story that they you know happen. I didn't know. I, maybe I didn't know it was going to be 48 pages. But, you know, it started off with, like, this, this idea of, like, oh, they should, they should, you know. And then I had to figure out, guys, because Webtoon was publishing uh, a Red Hook story during the new Brooklyn era, which is a very different uh, facet of Brooklyn. I realized I had to tell a pre-New Brooklyn story so that I could legally tell the story and not, you know, ruffle feathers at Webtoon. So that was another thing. Well, so he's only been a thief, I think in uh dave's uh stories yeah that's right. true yeah well i think yeah yeah that's that is true and you know i never sit down to write a 48 page story uh it just kind of happened that way i always wish i could write shorter stories but i think i finally accomplished that with bright of wax mm -hmm. but it seemed like a no-brainer that you know these characters should get together and and do some damage and i think it had been on my mind and i was just a little too shy to ask at that point but it was the right moment and yeah, and I'm very happy with how both of the stories turned out. I mean, it was a lot of fun working with Dean and, you know, I don't, I had always wanted secretly to do something in Savage Dragon as well. Uh, you know, I love the twisted Savage Dragon funnies, which Dean was a part of, and that was a long time ago, but that was something that turned me on to the concept of running these short little backup stories. And I thought that would be awesome to do. I would love to be a part of that someday. And it was cool that Eric was open to letting us, 
just tell a Savage Dragon story, essentially. You know, because he's in it. Oh, that was the best part. Yeah. And he had yeah, some we went to we weren't sure. Oh. And Cat Yes, which was cool. Yeah, we weren't sure what he was going to say to that because uh, we were like, well, I, I would rather, you know, use the original dragon if possible. Is he going to let us? And yeah, he was basically fine with it. And at first he was like, well, you know, he's dead, right? And we're like, well, yeah, no, 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 we, we know, we know. Uh, they go back in time. It's a time travel story. And, and then he was cool with that. We're like, oh, thank God. So yeah, it worked out great. It was a lot of fun. And to be able to use that character, to say that I've written Savage Dragon, that, that I've written the original dragon is, is amazing. And I'm very thankful for that opportunity. You know, also, wasn't there something about his blood that you had to, like, tweak? Well, there were a couple things we had to work around. You know, there's a lot of continuity to Dragon, and I've been as tuned in as I can. You know, I've, I, I've always loved the character. My first exposure to him was the cartoon show in the 90s. I came to the comic books a little bit later. I have not read every issue of Savage Dragon, you know, as much as I love the character. So there were some things about him that I didn't know, and there was a lot of discovery. And, you know, Eric was very... <laughs> very willing to, to walk us through those continuity issues and let us know what we could and could not do. You know, and he was very particular about how dragon looked, how the face looked, how the fin looked. And then the issue with the blood was, is that we were like, well, you know, we wanted that to be kind of the, the kicker. It is a Valentine's day story. So hearts and blood and all that kind of stuff had to be involved. And I think we had written the first draft of the script and we'd shown Larson everything along the way. And then at the end he was like, well, you know, you can't actually use dragon's blood, right? We're like, because if he, if he did, he would turn into a dragon and explode. That's happened a couple times. We're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we knew that. We knew that. <laughs> and so we went back and made a couple quick revisions and we made it, you know, we made it work. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy with how it came out. And so it kind of like became a story where, you know, dragon is along for the ride and he's not taking the situation too seriously. He's like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is here. And by the way, you guys actually can't do what you think you can do with my blood. So gotcha. And that was, that was kind of a fun thing to write. I'm not going to lie. I kept expecting like that last panel, you know, for, uh, mannequins, uh, girlfriend or wife to turn, to grow a fin and explode or something. Uh, Everybody leaves. Everyone thinks it's a happy ending. And then she explodes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and we don't know what happens after that, you know? Red Hook just went on his his merry way. It was Valentine's Day. He had other priorities. What happened after that is not his business. <laughs> we got a sequel. Yep. Did uh did did we Eric have um we we've also we're, we're hatching a, another story uh not necessarily with Savage Dragon although we did think about using him at one point in another kind of crossover story right so the original well the whole the whole original story that you and I talked about was not the story that we did. And I don't even remember why, I guess it must've been the time travel element that we had to go back in time that because we wanted to use the original dragon. Ultimately that right. was why we next it. But yeah, we do have this other crossover idea where we've kind of uh, taken in, removed a couple of the characters as it's progressed. And who knows if we'll ever get to do that. Who knows who that third character is going to be, but we right. do have that story there. And that was kind of how it originated. Right. That's really cool. And that's a fun story, too, that I hope you get to do someday. It was, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Dave, I was following you on Instagram, I feel like, towards maybe over the last six months. And you were over in, in Europe for quite a while, were you touring, like, uh, comic shops. Are you a big fan of European comics? or What's, what's am, your background? Uh, I, well, my, my background is that I, I have a whole lot of heavy metal. 
And some people understand that. Some people don't. Some people get a little freaked out by it. I love it. I have almost every issue. So, yeah. So I haven't traveled internationally in a long time. And I took the first opportunity I could to go visit some friends. And so it took me to Copenhagen. And there's an incredible store there called Pharaoh's Cigar, which is named for the Tintin story. Uh, and it means, you know, the Pharaoh's Cigars. You go in there and they've got everything. They have all, you know, they have Mobius. They've got... Uh, Hugo Pratt, all the great stuff. And, and what they do is they don't just sell the comics. They actually publish Danish translations. So you go in there and you're like, this is their own stuff. They'll take what Casterman publishes, do their own thing, slap their own label on it. And it's for the Scandinavian market. It's pretty outstanding. And you go in there like, this is Mobius stuff that I can't get in America right now. So it's, it's a stunning thing to see. Um, and then there are a lot of great shops in the UK, like Gosh in London and, you know, OK Comics and Leeds. There's a lot of, a lot of great stuff out there. But as far as my background goes, um, yeah, I mean, I started doing Tales of the Night Watchmen about 10 years ago with uh, my partner at the time, Laura Antal, and it's a series about baristas who fight monsters, and it's got, you know, some street-level sensibilities about Brooklyn, and but it's more of a monster comic. You know, it's a little more heightened genre than, than what Red Hook is, but uh, yeah, that's, that's basically what I've done, and that was what led me to this point. And is he the same artist that did the this backup for Savage Ride? He looks like it's the same artist. Oh yeah, Brett Brett Hobson, right? No, so so I co-created the series with Laura Antal. She's off doing other stuff now. She's got a graphic novel with Abrams oh, okay. coming out this year. Sorry, I'm mixing. Yeah, it up. yeah. So I've been no, no, no. It's all good. There there have been many many different artists along the way. In fact, I was the first person to publish Molly Ostertag, who's gone off to work for Disney. She's done a three book series with Scholastic. She did two issues of, of the Night Watchman as well. So, uh, but for this story, Brett Hobson, uh, yeah, he did, he did both the crossover and Bride of Wax, and he's got some more work coming up with me that we haven't published yet. That's awesome. Yeah, no, he's a great guy. I love him. And then one of the things with, with the series, with, with the three-parter, it seemed like it took probably about a year for this to come out with covid and then eric's schedule yeah. i know he had like uh writer's block for the first time i think he said in you know 30 years or something crazy so it felt like at times we we're never going to get a conclusion and then at one time i don't know if you guys caught this but he had mentioned even on the boards that he thought of throwing in the towel which shocked the hell out of us <laughs> like well really? well when i when i heard you guys when i heard you guys talk about that in the podcast for 259 my stomach just sank because <laughs> i had no idea that was going on we we're like okay you know it's covid shit's crazy you know things get delayed i haven't published anything either so no big deal and then i heard that i'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god please don't let that happen <laughs> oh, thankfully what, it all came out here we are was he the first uh creator to um uh, acknowledge COVID in a comic book? Yeah, I think so, at least. And he still does. He has his characters wearing masks. And, and yeah, I mean, the cool thing about Savage Dragon is that it's, I mean, as you guys know, it's written in real time. So, you know, you can always pick up a book and know what's what kind of, what was going on at the time, whether it was Bill Clinton as president or, you know, COVID going on, which is kind of a, a neat aspect. Yeah, I, sure. I, I love the porny stuff he's been doing. It just—it's not porn; it's humor to me. It's so—it's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's a love story. It's a certain kind of love story, you know. Like, I just love that he's entered that phase, and he does not give a fuck. I, mean, I don't know if I can curse, but I please do. We <laughs> it's unapologetic, savage race. You know, 
I see some of those parallels with the Red Hook comic when I was reading it. It's just use the comic as the medium uh, as you can do anything. And I, I hate when people constrain themselves, especially in superhero comics. It's like, and Eric said it before, you know, you've got a billion dollar budget on, on the page, you know, just do whatever you want to do. And it doesn't always have to make sense. It just has to be fun and tell a good story. Yeah, but Eric is the right artist for Savage Dragon. There's stuff I've written in the Red Hook that I'm not the right artist for. <laughs> but I just say, fuck it. I'll try, you know, do my best to my abilities. And basically just conveying an idea anyway. You know, a lot of the work is in your own head as you read it. You know, like, I, I'm not trying to... I also want you to turn pages and read panels. You know, like, I don't want you to stop an oval uh, because I feel like that can hurt a rhythm sometimes. So I'm not like... I'm not trying to vogue on the page, you know, and make you see how great an artistic diva I am. I'm more of a storyteller than, than like an illustrator, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think Raven has a lot to say on this, and, and Jim, too, uh, about the sex and Savage Dragon. But it's it's just, it's amazing to me how turned off people are with it. You know, when you see stuff like this in movies all the time, but it's it's drawn in a comic that's been an adult you know, book or whatever Eric wants it to be at the time, which is also right. great. If he decides he wants to make it a Fantastic Four style book, it's a Fantastic Four style book. Right. He wants it to have some X-rated stuff. It has that. He wants it to be a cowboy book. It'll be a cowboy, book, a Western book. You know, it's it's like that's that as a reader to me is what excites me about that book. And what, well, what reminds me of like. I, I, I can only imagine this is how I would feel if I was doing Saturday. It allows me to be 12 years old all the time. And that means that doesn't mean the mind of 12 but the, the spirit of that, like, you still, you're a kid again. Things feel naughty and new and energized. And, and you know, also, he's an older, grown man now. You've got to draw stuff that will keep you interested in the whole damn series, you know? Yeah, whether it's uh, bending the genre or or doing panel tricks or, you know, which are always pretty cool to he's see him. As an artist, somehow he's only getting better. His inking alone, unbelievable, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's got such a team working with him on colors and letters, and he's amazing. It'll always drive me crazy when when older fans will say he did better in the past when when it's clear that he's just gotten better with age. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of like presentation, that kind of thing, I, I was wondering like uh, Webtoons, of course, has its own style, you know, that vertical scrolling forever style, which is, you know, I've never gotten quite into it myself, but it's really popular with a lot of people. What was it like taking how, basically how did it start? Did it start with you doing traditional comic pages and then transferring it to 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 that style or? Did you start that way and go back, or like, what was the process there? Well, when when I, when Tom Makel, you know, showed me Webtoon on my phone, and I saw there was a vertical scroll that you just pull up with your thumb, uh, I realized, oh, it's a roll of to toilet paper. Okay, I I can wrap my head around it. It's the same width, but as long as you want it to be. And then I realized, oh crap! As I started, because I drew. All the pages of Red Hook are drawn like comic book, traditional comic book pages. Right. Okay? But one of the things I had to consider was the vertical scroll. So it meant eventually I had to really start to lose the landscape 
probably lose the inset panel. If you look at, if you if you're aware of any of my print comics, print first comics, as it were, um, I love inset panels. I was I was a student of Howard Chaikin, you know, uh, who used a lot of inset panels, and there are, I don't think there are any in the Red Hook, you know. So I had to kind of lose the inset panel. Uh, I had to think more in terms of the a tall panel, right, or a thin panel, because that works better uh, in in the scroll because you're just pulling down. I realized that um, as you're pulling down, like in a comic book, you're you're going left to right and then turning a page, and hopefully there's a reveal, right, on the left side. In a vertical scroll, it's always the bottom of the of the thing. You're just pulling to the bottom of stuff. So I started thinking sometimes about the action occurring at the bottom of a panel, knowing that that's how the reveal would happen. Um, and then also doing little tricks like if I drew a big panel or if I do a splash page, I can maybe cut out certain parts of that splash page to either introduce or to exit uh, a sequence and get, you know, milk, milk a, uh, a splash page for like three or four panels, depending, you know. Uh, so I had to think a lot about the structure uh, and not get too caught up in the vertical scroll being some kind of, like, how, how do you reinvent that all the time to, to, to make it work? And then I noticed later on that a lot of web uh, webtoons or web comics seem to be a lot of talking heads anyway. You know, there's a lot of soap opera type stuff happening, right? And then there'd be a little bit of action. And then if you're punching, maybe you're punching down. You know, and then they're flying backwards and instead of up or whatever. It really depends. You know, I would try to mix it up a little bit. But well, that, that, yeah. that that's interesting to me on its own because, as we know, in in a in a traditional comic, you go uh, left to right, and action generally should flow in that direction. And of course, you got the, the 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 turn the page, get the surprise sort of thing. But when you're doing the vertical scroll, it's completely different, like uh, logic, I suppose. Yep. And there's a lot of uh, parts of panels and certain page designs that has not been seen yet because that's gonna you'll see it how it's supposed to be in the print version. But I did honor, I, I believe, the vertical scroll as best as I could. I never got any crap for it. The only thing Webtoon asked me to do that I, I kind of disagreed with, and I think it's even uh, evident in, in the work, was when the first season, I had a limited color palette. Basically, the world was kind of like a beige, warm gray type of world, and then all the characters had a featured color, let's say, right? I, I, did, not I did notice that, yeah. Yeah. And then with Warcry, they were like, can you go more four color, like full color, right? Like every color they get. And I'm not a good colorist, I gotta say. I, I, <laughs> I can't think that way. I think more in terms of a limited palette. But I took the challenge. I did the best I could, and Warcry and Starcross are done more of a full color palette. I don't really like what I did. And then um, when Blackout came, I knew there was going to be a certain switch in there. I kind of went back to a more limited palette, kind of more of a blue hue. And I think I carried that through uh, uh, PTSD. And, you know, it just, it, I like, I, I look at color like a tone. I, I, I've worked with great colors. They, they do a better job, you know, and if I have any thoughts, I, I add them. But, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of doing a full color on my person. Have you checked out uh, Larson's Ant series at all that he put out? I, I think, 
you would dig the colors. It's very similar where the ant kind of pops and it's got like the gradients, but all the, the characters in the background are flat. That's great. And, and it's a real limited palette. It's really uh, experimental and fun, but it, it did remind me of kind of what you did with the first season of right. Red Hook where I like it because it feels like the main character just pops on the screen. Your eyes are drawn to the red. Um, right. And also, who cares if the car is blue and the tree is green and brown? Like, we already know that. So yeah. it's a little bit easier. Actually, sometimes it's a little harder to work in a limited palette because you have to, how you separate stuff and make sure you're looking at what, you know, the reader is looking at what you want to look at. But, you know, ultimately, I just like when a world feels blue, like it's still like it's its own little kind of, and because in, in this case, Brooklyn has seceded. Brooklyn is sentient, and it, her heart is broken by the toxicity of the world, and she literally and physically secedes from New York, ergo America, to start her own republic, where arts can be bartered for food and services during a pandemic of superheroes kind of emerging, you know, from this kind of cosmic fallout. And uh, that's kind of like the genesis of New Brooklyn, and that's why we have all these different characters and stories. But you know, the anchor is the Red Hook. So, so much of the Red Hook story revolves around aspects of love and loss, and whether it's person to person or a love of the community, which I think throughout this whole series, it's you know, it's a love letter to Brooklyn and all the you know the different areas. Um, but I've seen that throughout your work, uh, you know, the Billy dogma. My first experience with your work was Brawl uh, with uh, Michelle Fife. Yeah. Um, I don't know how. I, I think I kept mixing up your studio with uh, was it Joe Kelly? Uh, who who worked with Tom Scholey on Godland? Uh, oh, uh, well, oh, on Godland with Tom. Didn't he, doesn't he do everything by himself? Basically? No, Tom. I forget who wrote it. You know, Jim. Who was the writer of Godland? Oh, it was Joe Casey, right? Joe Joe Casey. Oh, I kept sorry. mixing up your studio with his studio, and I knew I'd seen your stuff, and it was very Kirby esque. And I bought Brawl, thinking I was gonna get like a superhero Kirby comic, and it looked like that, but it was like an an indie like crazy love story that like I just didn't know what to make of it. Like it, it wasn't what I thought I was getting. Right. And with that, and it was my first exposure to Michelle Fife's stuff. It was such a crazy comic to yeah. me. And it, like the story burned into my brain because I almost didn't know what was going on the whole time, but right. it still made sense. If that makes sense, I don't know, but it, it was just wild. And uh, I noticed that same theme kind of flows in through Red Hook. A lot of like, like what, what, what is it for you with exploring the aspects of love or lost love um, that you gravitate towards? I mean, it's probably the, the, the stuff I responded to most as a kid to stories, right? Like everyone likes what they like. And for some reason, I don't know if it has to do with like my own family upbringing or something, or uh, I don't know what kind of tragedy or, or, something great that's happened. I can't speak to that, but like my favorite superhero is the thing from the Fantastic Four, you know, kind of like the misunderstood monster yeah. with, a, with a heart of gold, right? Like to me, or Frank, the Frankenstein monster, or, you know, the, the tragedy of the Hulk, you know? Um, and I, and, you know, I've always thought about, you know, I, I think about feelings of abandonment and, and, 
And yet my thing about loyalty, how loyalty is important for better or for worse. Um, and, but ultimately, I think the way we connect with each other isn't necessarily through fist the cups, but through um, trying to understand each other through love in some way, you know? And I don't even Absolutely. mean, I'm talking about sexualizing it. Of course, there's that too, but empathy for one another, you know, and um, trying to, trying to uh, not only uh, uh, work that out and figure it out, but also to impart it. Like one thing you learn is as a cartoonist or any kind of storyteller, uh, you're a communication artist, right? You're trying to communicate ideas. Right. And, you know, when I was younger, I was like into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, you know, bloody, gory stuff like anybody <laughs> else. But there's nothing you can do with that, like, except just it's sensational and, and gross, right? Or <laughs> fucked up or something. But what I started to realize is I could do stories like that, but what's the takeaway? And right. so I committed to the idea at one point, well, if I'm going to work on a long piece, or a longer piece, or even the shorter ones I do these days. Like, it, 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 the takeaway is there's got to be a sense of hope. There's got to be a sense of, you know, something that's meaningful. Uh, and again, I'm not even talking about teaching. I'm talking about what I think, you know, I, I want you to pick up what I'm laying down, you know? And, and especially, weirdly enough, these days, today, whatever is going on in the world, forget COVID, we're, there's such a disparity and diversity, it's kind of weird how bad it's gotten. I thought we all thought it was just getting better. No, it's getting worse. How is that possible? You know? Um, and we need to learn from that. But if you're gonna pick up something I've written and drawn, you know, I hope you're entertained, but I hope you walk away feeling something. I want you to feel something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, just there's Reading that Red Hood comic, like you said, there's the fisticuffs, but the over the message of love, and there's so many different aspects of it in there. Uh, whether it's with Red Hook's uh, mother, the Coney losing her husband, Red Hook losing you know his girlfriend, or trying to replace her with some someone he doesn't feel for, or uh, I think it's you know Sun Dog and and Ray Jack. Uh, you know, it's just, and like you said, New Brooklyn itself and its heart and in the story where, you know, the Purple Heart story goes and he's actually the heart, you know, working for the heart of New Brooklyn. It's all comes down to love, the cosmic story. I mean, I think there's even a part where isn't. Yeah. 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 The one of the demigods, there's a connection to Billy Dogma there. And I'm glad you brought up the Sundog Ray Jack thing because I realized at one point they, they started to fall in love, let's say, these two guys. And then that doesn't happen because you have to read the story. But then there, there's a, a moment later where they're able to have an entire relationship, like in 24 hours, in one day or something. And, it, it, you know, I could have had more time. I could expand on that. But I love putting those ideas in people's heads because... You know, as I get older, I keep joking with my studio mate, Whitney Matheson, there's only five minutes left. And, and not that I live a life like, oh, there's only five minutes left and I don't have anxiety or anything, or I'm not living the best five minutes of my life. But you have to realize it, it's over in a minute, you know. Um, so try to, try to enjoy, you know.
You know, we, it's so easy to get upset these days. It's so easy to complain. And if I'm going to sit at an art table and draw a comic that five people are going to read and, you know, eat peanut butter sandwiches just to get by, then I want to put time into something that, that, you know, explores love, expresses love, imparts love. And I know that, that it sounds cheesy what I'm saying, but you've read the comic, so you know it's got fights and, you know, uh, consequences and, you know, other things going on. But the underlying theme is this romance thing. You know, it's not even erotica. It's just romance, you know? It's um, it's funny, like Craig was saying, you know, love is just such a core theme to it. Um, I mean, it was really like I was OK. You know, the only Red Hook exposure I had before this was the little Red Hook one shot in Dragon and then the three parter in 259, 260 and 261. So, I mean, you know, when I go and I do my little Webtoons deep dive, I just wasn't prepared for that. And I got to tell you that I really think that that is honestly not only a super excellent strength that red hook has like compared to say an invincible even uh but also i think it's uh kind of like what makes it unique because you're set up you set up sort of like this dystopia you know with new brooklyn's kind of like it's a uh, you know retreats away from the america and you know it's kind of like everything's like chaos but you don't get a dystopia instead What's cool is you get this sort of uh, deep dive into love and interpersonal connections. And you even do kind of a thing where you sort of lay out some uh, almost uh, societal commentary with the technological uh, austerity, like the retreat from that. And uh, I don't know. I just think it was really kind of cool. I'm not going to spoil anything. Because right. I really would like people to do that read on Webtoons for themselves. I was very shocked by where it went. And uh, I think it's really unique in comics and in entertainment in general. Thank you. Thank, I, again, I appreciate you guys doing that, Deep. I, I'm, I'm shocked. Like, there's, there's a lot of material there, and I really appreciate it. And I'm glad you dug it. You know, like, essentially, what I, what I arrived at, I didn't start off the Red Hook doing this, but at the end of the day, it, it's a mother son story. You know, it's about yeah. a mother and son. And you have to read it to know what I'm talking about. And I've already plotted most of the next story. And I have a title for it that I'll never get away with in today's culture. But just to give you a hint, uh, the, the title is called Son of a Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> read the Red Hook, you'll appreciate it. <laughs> That's the working title. So, Yeah, that mother-son, uh, that, that five-minute dialogue. You know, that I'm again, not I'm being super vague on purpose, but that five minute dialogue and that mother son interaction, that stuff floored me. That was fantastic. Thank you, Raven. I think this this recent three parter in Savage Dragon really does a good job of giving a, a little bit of a taste. But I don't think that you can fully understand what's going on in the comic unless you at least read like the first season or something. It gives you a little taste of how the character behaves, what some of the themes are. Again, you know, there's the love theme in in the short story. Of course, it's all based around Valentine's Day, too. And uh, it helps you kind of understand some of the basics. But, you know, like I said, I wasn't prepared, like Raven said, of where the story was going to take me. And 
um, just how different it was than what you expect from a superhero comic, which, which is great. You know, it's refreshing. I mean, it, we know it's, it's 2022. There's been a billion superhero comics. It's hard to come up with something new and refreshing. And so, uh, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm halfway through season three. I'm looking forward to, to getting through this. I did hear, are you on the last, you said you're on the last season with Webtoons and then you're thinking about doing something in print with this character or? So if you're on season three, which is Starcross, uh, oh, you don't even know how season three is. That's it's crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm three quarters through season three. I finished wow. it and he is in for a total, <laughs> he's in for some wild shit. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Um, no, but I am wrapped up at Webtoons. As of the well, blackout will go into PTSD in the same uh, you know uh, season, as it were. And then I'm wrapped there. And then, um, like I said, I have a story that I want to do. Uh, I have a couple of stories already kind of lined up. And but I, I don't have a publishing plan. I don't. I I do think it should be in print. I know we live in a digital age right now, but I've been missing the bookstore. So I think one of the ideas is to probably Put out an omnibus of all that stuff on webtoon right that's one story then this would be the quote continuing adventures okay spoiler red hook doesn't die at least there's that you know you, you're doing more red hook i'm not saying who dies or not but he doesn't die and um and then i i would uh you know a part of me and i don't know if you guys we, we were talking about format with the vertical scroll but there's a and i talk about this with dave a lot but a part of me is thinking about uh, there's a sweet spot to like a 64 page or a 48 page. You know, it has a spine. It can be in a bookstore. Maybe you do two or three of those and you collect them into a graphic novel. You know, I could do two or three sort of like a trilogy and, and call it something after I put out. And, and maybe I, I'd be doing that or working on another project. You know, um, I don't know. Um, I, I'm thinking about it. And, and is that a Kickstarter? Do I find a publisher that doesn't need to own my stuff? Like the cool thing is that Webtoon paid me to produce something that I own. That's crazy. That's very rare. You know, right. I was able to make all that deal. Um, but anyway, so I'm not sure. Is it dangerous in them? Well, I was going to say, I was going to throw in real quick that, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges in comics in general is the format. And we kind of rely on a lot of archaic models and it's hard to get people to think differently because I'm guilty of it like anyone else's. I love going to the store every Wednesday and buying monthly books, paying way too much money for them because that's what I'm used to. And it's part of the thrill. But it would be great if there was something that could kind of exist in between, you know, the two formats that we kind of know, the collected volume or even something digital. And we haven't figured it out yet. And I think it's frustrated both me and Dean. And we're both kind of in the same place where, you know, we really don't know what's next. So much has gotten shaken up in the past couple of years. I was thinking very differently about how I was going to come back to publishing, you know, uh, and I don't even know what to do now. It's just, it's, everything's just kind of amorphous and, and, and strange. And you're working on a five issue night Watchmen story right now, aren't you? Oh yeah, I've got I've got uh, seven issues laid out actually, and uh, most of them, you know, about half of it is ready to go to print if I had to, but it's just not the right time. And they'll come out soon, but you know, we're not quite there yet. And there've just been a lot of a lot of little things along the way, just you know, um, personal struggles, you know, COVID notwithstanding, just a lot of little things have come up, and you know, we're 
everyone's working really hard. And that's the thing about comics is you put a lot of effort into it for something that, you know, people pay $5 for and read in 10 seconds. And you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> if they only knew the pain. I'm but, waiting for know, Raven gonna... to chime in. <laughs> no, okay, right on. Um, I'm just over here agreeing. Yeah, and what's okay, really... right on. Good, good. No, but for a four or five dollar comic, you're getting twenty, maybe twenty four pages of story. You might as well do a sixty four page comic for fifteen dollars, and it has more value actually. And you get it done in one story, right? Usually, right. Uh, sure. That's the direction I want to go in as an indie artist is like, I, you know, I don't know how well Eric had a tough time recently at Larson, you know, with having creator uh, writer's block, uh, and with COVID, you know, I understand COVID is notwithstanding, as we say, but. Um, still, he's producing a regular series. Like, I don't know how he can do after 260 issues. Like, you know, how is he doing that? That's hard. I couldn't do that. So as I grow, grow older, I'm like, you know what? Let me tell a story in 64 pages or 40 or whatever, you know? Um, and then maybe come out once a year or something, or if I'm lucky, twice a year. Uh, and that could be a plan. You know, um, I think that the days of indie comics trying to do what Marvel and DC are having a tough time doing are gone. You know, like I don't know how Dark Horse, IDW, and all these other publishers can can even dare to publish a four or five issue miniseries where the second issue numbers drop in half and, and why publish a third issue and wait for the trade, right? And then like if you want to keep it on topic, I briefly read something about how comicology is having a uh, problem because I think they they created an update that's not very good and uh, he, I, I could go into that. Uh, I'm very... Uh, have a, sorry. What happened? That's what I'm saying. Like, well, yeah. basically, Amazon decided that they wanted to integrate Comixology with the Amazon storefront. So they're eliminating Comixology as a platform. Uh, and so they have created a really bad storefront when they had a, de a, a perfectly good working one. And they have changed the reader app for your devices into the Kindle reader which is awful for reading comics. Oh. oh. Uh, so it's, hopefully these are teething problems, but yeah. like Amazon, they're just going to keep it this way forever and it will be bad. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> And I heard that um, a lot of people who had like a lot of comics downloaded, suddenly those were gone and they have to re-download everything. Yeah, so when they, ah. did, when they changed the app over to the new ah. version, ah. it required everything to be re-downloaded, but not only that, it did not retain like uh, whether or not you've already read something. So for someone like me who has thirty five hundred comics, I now have to manually go through and make mark them all red so they don't all appear in my library. Uh, wow, it's wow. really obnoxious. Yes. Okay. Well, again, said, I mean, it's still the highest profile way, way to get digital comics, which is right. I and mean, there's a lot of merit, obviously, to the digital world we live in right now. Uh, to look at comics that way. I, I per personally don't, uh, and, and maybe it keeps uh, my reading lighter because of that. Like, I, I, you know, like for me, my favorite thing right now is like Andrew Baker and Sean Phillips' Reckless series. You know, like you get a whole story, you read it, and it takes maybe 40 minutes. It's great. I love it, you know? Um, well, just t talking about the whole formatting thing with doing miniseries and turning them into trade paperbacks, I thought the whole premise was that you did a miniseries first to pay for making the comic and then putting out the trade to, you know, keep it in print and reprint it. Right. That's 
that's supposed to be the gravy, the trade, or the collection, or, or the deluxe edition, whatever. But I, how how is not selling issues three, four, and five barely like not in the black helping you? You know, and yeah. and everybody's waiting for the trade, so you're you're killing, you're literally killing trees for no See, reason. Yeah. I'm almost the opposite where I hate to see everything go to trade because there's certain comics I just want to try out. Now, I don't mind plunking down four bucks. If I like it, then I'll stick with it. But right. it might be a bigger decision to, to drop 15 bucks on something. I'm, eh, right. you know, I, so. I personally think the art of the cliffhanger uh, is lost when everything's a graphic novel. Oh, it is. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And guys agree, but you know, it's funny. Every five pages, every five pages of four and a half seasons of Red Hook, I had to come up with a mini cliffhanger. Even if it's just asking a question to get the answer to the next chapter, holy crap, did I learn about cliffhangers because that's one of the ideas is to keep them coming back, you know? Right. And, and that's not even, like, cliffhangers should be two or three in a whole story. Try to do that in 20, 25 of those in a 26-chapter comic is bananas, you know, like, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I could take a break from cliffhangers myself. <laughs> I think what, what, it's okay. Oops. Sorry, Craig. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, all I was going to say is I think it's totally acceptable to, uh, explore, uh, less frequent, more short form, uh, storytelling, Yep. Uh, I, you know, again, talking as a aging comic artist myself, got a lot of aging comic artist friends. You just get to that point where you just want to shit the story out and you don't want to draw it out. And, uh, it's kind of one of those things where I think there are some things you can point to that, uh, publishing models, uh, where it, uh, comes out like quarterly headlopper from image I'm thinking of. But it comes out quarterly and everybody it's oversized. So you get a larger chunk, but uh, you know that every story arc is only four issues and you're only getting those four issues a year. But when you get those four issues, you get a bigger chunk. I just think there's all kinds of different ways to approach it. And you shouldn't like you said, you shouldn't ever feel like you have to ape the Marvel DC model. It barely works for them. So well, not only barely work for them. they don't I don't. They don't need to do that. Right. Why are they doing that? Like, just do six. First of all, you don't need ten Batman books. <laughs> do one monthly Batman book if you need to have a Batman book, and then have like cre- certain created creatives or creators or certain talent come in and do their thing with Batman because that's what you're really reading is is when you like a writer, when you like an artist. You just want to see them do their Batman. You don't care about continuity. You can have one continuity book for whatever reason that is anymore, because things have changed since when that model started. When it, you know, though that was our blockbuster. That was our movies and television where a man could fly. Now they're competing with really great movies and television that are being made today. Right? right. That's IP farm comics, you know. Right. And so, so with that in mind, as a comics creator lean in on what makes comics cool and take a little bit of time with it so that when you indulge it as a reader you're enjoying it for for the format for the medium you know not because you're looking at something that might be an hbo show one day who cares like enjoy the comic for what it is you know you mentioned fife before that's what he's doing cobra you know that's comic book you know 
Maybe it could be a TV show. I don't care. It's a comic, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I follow, um, Tom Scholey's Patreon, which is amazing to me. I don't know if you've seen it or, but he does these, he'll, he'll, he can do intricate strips that are 48 pages or he'll do a five page, almost stick figure strip that's stripped down, but it's just concepts thrown at a wall using the medium, using different techniques. And it's so much fun. And I just follow him because I enjoy him as a creator and I don't mind spending, you know, five bucks a month to just, you know, just see what he's got going on. You know, it's, it's all digital, but it's just another way of doing it. I don't even need like a, a 22 page comic. Give me five pages today, seven pages next week or whatever. Show me some behind the scenes stuff, some pinups, you know, that's what's fun for me now. And it's something I wouldn't never have thought of. Like that's not, that's no joke. Like there's a lot going on. There's lifting the veil between, you know, creator creation and, and community building a community. Um, you know, it's being experimented, being, being, being allowed to experiment, you know, like I consider the idea of doing a Patreon too, because listen, Marvel DC isn't going to hire me. I mean, if they do, it's going to be a few pages here or there or do a retro thing, but if they want a retro thing, they're going to get Mike Ulrich. They're not going to get me, you know, like, I mean, yes, I have done that, but you know, I'm, I'm aging out in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm also not doing any kind of comics that are like new, like the new comics. I'm not doing that, you know, and I never slowed down to a manga pace in my work. I still, you know, I grew up on Marvel two and one where you got a whole story in 22 pages, you know? Um, so, I mean, you know, I've, I've developed certain short shortcuts and shorthands because in a lot of ways, that's what cartooning is essentially is a shorthand. Um, but yeah, I, I, I am thinking about the crowdfunding Patreon kind of, you know, world right now and see if I can make a dent or any kind of living at some point. And maybe that's what will yield the, the print edition 64-page story or whatever for a market. You know, I don't know. And I do think about it, and, and I've talked about this with Dave a lot, like, you know, certain creators or solo creators are trying to do their thing, but then you need a publisher. You need someone out there that has those tentacles, has those you know, they're spinning those plates and making those relationships with retailers, distributors, printers, you know, a lot of stuff that creator doesn't want to deal with, you know, yeah. and creating some kind of partnership in that way. Yeah, it's really important to get out of your bubble. I mean, there's certain groups and all right, we're all part of the Jack Kirby Appreciation Club, but there's a ton of other people in the audience that aren't you know, and need to know or see your work and, and get turned on to it because right. there's a finite group here, you know, and it's um it's crazy but uh i think uh we have any more questions or should we start wrapping it up i i do want to talk about some things kind of in the pipeline for you guys i know for you dean you've got an i think a fox one shot through archie coming up so, so um yeah uh, uh first of all thanks for talking about you know this savage dragon backup and the red hook and, and all our comments i really appreciate that and, and for, yeah, um so yeah, recently I just did a, uh, it's a, it's an anthology of, I think, two new stories, uh, one written by Vito Dosante, who co-created The Purple Heart with me. Uh, he did a five-pager, and I wrote a 12, I wrote and drew a 12-page Fox story, and basically the assignment was, uh, uh, you know, kind of, what do you think the, the Fox is right now? You know, like, and I had to think about that. And I had to think about, 
don't assume anybody read the other 10 issues. Character to new readers, as it were. Yet, and yet honor what happened before, you know? And and actually, the one of the things that, that I, I was turned on to the Fox by was the, the two Alex Toth backups that he did in the 80s, which is what turned me on. So I'm trying to pay a little homage to Alex Toth as well. Um, I'm currently just doing an illustration gig, but I, I, uh, I saw um, <laughs> I saw that uh, Image Comics is publishing a 12-issue anthology series for the 30th anniversary, right? Yeah. Uh, can I do one page at least? Something in this? He came back, why do one page per issue of the 12 issues? And I said, well, I don't know if I want to come with one page story. But I could do a 12-page story that's serialized. So I'm doing a 12-page Billy Dog. Oh, cool. That's Hold awesome. On. Hold on one second. I mean, I know your, your listeners can't see this, but I don't know if you can. But oh, wow. First page. Um, nice. I don't know if it's backwards. It's backwards for me. It might be right for you. I don't no, know. It's, it's right ways for us. So, I can't tell because there's no words, but. <laughs> yeah, the words I digitally added. And, yeah. So. You know, I couldn't I, tell if it was backwards or not. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's all right, right? But, um, yeah, so I, you know, I'm getting to revisit and dust off a, 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 a much beloved character and and play with that again, you know? So, And then, you know, I've written, I've written some stuff and some plays, and, and I have another play coming out in the fall, I believe. You know, I love story time. So, I wish I could. Nice. What about you, Dave? You have th- something coming in the pipeline you want to promote? or? I do, I do. I'm going to launch something on Substack. It's kind of a future noir detective story called Heart and Sin. So if you go to heartandsin.substack.com, we've got a little preview image up and you can sign up for the newsletter and there will be much more to come. Uh, also, I want to interject. I saw in the comments that you wanted to ask us what our favorite dragon characters were. And I just wanted to throw <laughs> well, in mine. Yeah, I think, well, part of it, not just to jump in, we kind of jumped the gun, but did want to talk a little bit about your kind of relationship with Savage Dragon that you're still collecting or, or not, or, or just checking in and, and yeah, and, and what your some of your favorite aspects or characters are, just to tie it in oh, with, sure. with the FinCast. Right on. Well, I've been I've been picking up monthly to obviously support Larson because he's been so good to me and to Dean. Uh, but my favorite character of all time is Mako, even though he is long gone. But... <laughs> He's that, yeah, well. No, Craig, he's gone. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be glad to know he's not gone, gone. He's back. Oh, okay, well then, yeah, awesome. I think the most recent issue, didn't he? Yes. If you you like Mako, you should pick up the most recent stuff. He's, you're, you're in for a treat. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah right he's right here oh my god you know what i went right to my store like an asshole in we're in the issue i think that he comes back yes yes you are and that's you know eric's talked to us about it and a lot of that is just kind of being annoyed with the whole king shark suicide squad thing that looks exactly like mako and he's like yeah right, right, yeah i should bring sure. this character back but yeah but yeah, it is a cool true. visual Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have a moment in time? Uh, you know, Mako's your favorite character. Do you have a moment in time in the book? We call them like Savage Dragon eras, you know, or whatever, that just really like sticks with you. 
Oh, well, I, man, I don't know if this is another asshole answer, but you know what? I love it when he showed up in the Max. That was one of my yeah. favorite Max that issues. Is, that is just fine. Does that count? That is okay. just fine. We love that issue. All right, awesome. Where where were you guys at the start of Image Comics? Uh, I, I think, Dean, you're just a little bit older than me. I was in high school. You, you, I think you probably early 80s, you're already in the industry, right? Working oh, with I, Howard. Yeah, I'll be 55 in May. Um, so, yeah, no, I, w- I was in the 87 was the first time I got published. Uh, I believe it was 87. And I was working with Howard Chaikin, Walt Simonson, and Bill Sinkevich in 1985. 17 going to 18. I was their assistant. Wow. What Everybody a crew. Thor, Electra Assassin, New Mutants. Man, Free- that's such a, you look back at that, it's such a golden age of Marvel Comics. Like. Incredible. Incredible. Um, and yeah, I remember when Image started, and I remember picking up those books. And to be honest, most of them weren't my cup of tea. It wasn't my thing. I wasn't like nothing against McFarlane's Spider Man, but it wasn't my thing. You know, like yeah, Rock. I agree. Spider Man was Spider Man, and then of course Dick Romita, you know, uh, and Romita Junior. Even, but yeah, no, I it, it was like that over overdrawn, overwrought, angsty mm-hmm. type of thing. Like, I get why it worked in like you know, Dark Knight Returns, and I get what, you know, in Watchmen, when, when things got a little honesty, but that was more of a commentary, uh, not only about where what comics could be, where they could go, but also, you know, what's happening in the world. And then they, and then the biggest mistake comics made was to try to keep aping that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, I, I love C.C. Beck's Shazam. You know, like, that to me is what a superhero is, or... You know, or Fantastic Four is my favorite comic book, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and anyway, so, but when Image started, you know, I definitely picked up a lot of those first issues. Um, in fact, and I've come to meet and, and, and like Rob Liefeld, but as a, when I was younger, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, I just didn't, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And I know he's made fun of a lot, but what I realized in my latter years is that what's great about Rob Liefeld's comics is not only does he have a specific energy, like this kid enthusiasm, right? Like I mentioned before, like turning back to being 12 years old, but which is in a, in a good way. But what's cool about Rob Liefeld's comics is that they're unintimidating. You know, you ever see a pick up a comic, you're like, I could never do that. Or, oh my God, look at that, you know, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Like you cannot, who can draw like that, right? Or, or, or you know, when something's really stylistic and how do they find their way, like well, Walter Simonson, Bill Sienkiewicz, Mike Mignola, whatever. Um, what was great about Rob Liefeld is that, oh, I think I could do comics too. You know, like, yeah. it inspired you to maybe want to do some rock'em, sock'em kind of comics or whatever, you know? And I, I bet of, kids that, you know, found their way through a Rob Liefeld comic, you know? Kind of like the punk rock of comics where it just was you know, others could do it, you know, it was just, oh, just go up there and rock out with your cock out, right? Like, <laughs> so. I, uh, I think for, for me, I, I, and for the generation, so I'm 45, I'm 45, it, it was that energy, you know, and I wasn't exposed to, I think you were exposed to kind of some of the late seventies Kirby stuff when it was coming out and witnessed that. Whereas my first taste of stuff was like, you know, Sylvester X-Men or, uh, you know, while Simonson was just ending Thor. So like right around that time is when I was getting into it. And that was exciting to me. And I, you know, looking at it, it was like, man, it was mind blowing. And now as my tastes refined through the 
the years and being exposed to the older stuff, I'll take a Kirby or Ditko or uh, or some of the more simplistic styles, which are not at all. Right. Just cleaner. That kind of original gangster. Like, like I realized if I had to whittle down my library to the era that really impacted me, which is specifically Marvel, um, I think my Marvel era actually ends with the first Secret Wars. You know, in a way, the 25th anniversary, right? I've read tons of Marvel comics. There's been great comic books in Marvel since. But if I had to make a decision, it is like the 80s was my silver age, you know, even though, and that's Tom Byrne and, you know, Simonson and Frank Miller, right? Like those guys. Of course, that that was a golden age of really good indie comics too, you know? Um, But yeah, when Image first launched, and then now specifically going to Savage Dragon, like I read some of that stuff. I never really followed it. I can't tell you, I cannot tell you a Savage Dragon arc, you know? Right. All I can tell you is in the last five to 10 years, probably five years, maybe more because of COVID, whatever, um, his art and his energy and just what he's putting down, Eric Larson and Savage Dragon, like to me, it's, it recommends the purity of comics, you know? Yeah. And, and you can criticize it and you can be like, oh my God, there's some weird funny stuff happening. But it recommends, it's so purely the joy of comics, you know? Right. You can see it. And I can see him burning out a little bit. Like, because he doesn't want to put out a dud, and he's only getting better, you know? Yeah. He's got to deal with his own continuity. So I'll, I'll bet after a while it gets very harried and, like, it's a web of stuff, you know? Like, he's got to keep in his own head. But whatever he puts down, I just enjoy that. I, I can't tell you what's really happening after sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, there's a pure joy to air cars and Savage Dragon. And just to see it grow from the nineties with all the cross hatching and the very extreme look and you see him refine and just hone in on just the basics of what you need to be a great cartoonist. And I think that's where a lot of people are like, Oh, the new dragon, like his art nowadays isn't what it used to be because it's not hyper detailed to death with a million cross hatches. It's cleaner and it's conveys so much, action better. It's so much better. It's so much better. He's only gotten better. So, I mean, I don't know the character except maybe, uh, it matches the, 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 the current Savage Dragon, right? Like, no, no. Um, Malcolm. No, Malcolm. Malcolm. His girlfriend kills me. <laughs> Maxine. Yeah, I, I love her. She's got such a spirit and energy that it's hilarious. Right. And the thing is, he's not afraid to make those cartoony faces, you know, like you can mix realistic with hyper, right. you know, uh, stylistic uh, features, which is great fun in comics. And it's like, why aren't we doing more? Why, why aren't artists taking advantage of that more? Um, but, but yeah. Um, I think we, so, uh, go ahead. Oh, let me just throw this in here. Sure. I guess I'm, yeah, the, I'm, yeah, the baby. I'm the baby of the group. I'm 38. I'll be 39 next month. I came to image a <laughs> couple of years into it. You're the same age as me. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool, cool. So I wasn't there for the beginning, but it was the, it was the Holy Trinity of the Savage Dragon, Wildcats and Max cartoon shows that brought me to the comics. Hell yes. So I just wanted to throw that in. Max yeah, was fantastic. Was I mean, oh, it was incredible. What, yeah. What a pleasure to look at that, that comic. Yeah. Um, and again, that was some Sam Keith just, doing some crazy stuff just 
it wasn't quite a superhero comic. It was like, what is this? What, you know, what, you know, the different types of media he was using. It just, uh, just real fun. It was, was mind blowing to a teenage kid. Like I, I, it was just so new. And the last thing I'll say is I want to, I just want to say personally, Eric Larson, thank you so much for bringing Mako back. <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm leaving this interview much happier than I was at the beginning. And thank you again for the opportunity to do this backup story and for it to be featured in an issue with Mako. <laughs> Thank well, you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys joining our podcast. This was a lot of fun. Well, it's always I'm not letting a... him go yet. I'm not letting okay, him go, go yet. Ahead. Oh I'm, shit. I'm, I'm sorry. I got my no, question no, no. I get to ask. So yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, go. I always ask every cartoonist that we have on the FinCast these same kind of generic questions. This is one generic question, so you both get a crack at it. Before I ask you the generic question, I always ask every cartoonist. I just want to throw this out there. You were both sort of talking about um, sort of being in the weeds on publishing models or whatever else. Uh, just as someone who is currently doing the uh, subscriber site model where you make the comic – People just get like a page here and there as you finish it and they pay you monthly and you just chit chat with them and you throw up sketches and stuff. It's awesome. You get to build great community with you get to really connect with your readers that way. And they're paying you to be a part of the process. And when the print book comes out, they still want that. And so I recommend that to any cartoonist. There are many more cartoonists way more successful than me doing it. Look at Ed Pisker with Red Room and Michelle Fife with Copra. So search your hearts. You know this is true. But uh, at any rate, that's just my statement to you, fellow cartoonists. My generic question I ask every cartoonist is, uh, gentlemen, of your own properties. So, you know, we're talking Red Hook, Night Watchman. What's your dream merch? Oh, dream merch action figures, hands down. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, so we're not talking yeah, merch, not like a TV show. <laughs> oh, it could be a TV show if you want to, vi- like uh, Michelle said he wanted a video game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I feel like I, I don't play with toys. I love toys. I don't, I don't care about t-shirts and toys and that kind of stuff. I feel like, and yeah, I bet yeah, a video game would really blow up, but I can't imagine. Well, maybe you can figure something out. But I just love storytelling <laughs> mediums to the point where I would love to see uh, the Red Hook as a TV show. I, I, I've been talking to someone about the idea of doing an animation, but I'm also thinking about live action, to be honest. Wow. I love and I think it worked. So I can see it. My merch, my merch is, uh, I don't know, the DVD of the TV show or the movie, <laughs> <laughs> the Blu-ray, you know. Right on, right on. Thank you for indulging that question. I feel like it's as good a time as any to sell superhero properties, too, because it's like, you know, people got the Marvel or the DC or, you know, Netflix snapping up Mark Millar stuff or whatever. It's like everyone's looking for that next hot property. Well, they need well, to come for the indie stuff. The cool thing is that Marvel and DC, whether you think it's a deluge or can create a glut, they've now absolutely created the multimedia hunger for the superhero genre. And what's cool about the superhero genre is that guess what it encompasses? Crime, science fiction, fantasy, and romance. It's, got, it's all genres. Right. However you want to parse it out, you know? I mean, you saw... Uh, WandaVision, 
You saw Winter Soldier and the Falcon. You just saw, oh God, what was the recent one? Um, um, Hawk, Hawkeye. Yeah. And like, look how great Peacemaker. Like, and it's those parts of the genre, but it's done so different. Right. Marry Me is a 15-year-old webcomic about romance, and it's releasing into theaters with Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. So I'm right. saying it's we're in different times. Yep. And you know what's funny? I was just watching on, I think it's Netflix. There's a, there's a, on Netflix, there's a TV show called All of Us Are Dead. Oh, right, yeah. It's a webtoon series, oh. and it's Korean, but they've done you know English, not subtitles, uh, what do you call it? The voice Dubbed. Over. Dubbing. 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 And um, it, it's it's basically a high school with zombies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a zombie outbreak apocalypse. And what was funny is when they started making references to, oh, is this a zombie apocalypse? You mean like trained abusan? <laughs> you know, which of course makes sense is Korean, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no Walking Dead, there's no Night of the Living Dead, there's no George Romero reference. You know, it's the current reference. Yeah. And, and the reason why I'm bringing that up is just like I'm touting how superheroes are here to stay. Um, so is the zombie, you know, uh, you, you can still make zombie shows and movies, even though Walking Dead has been around for 10 years now, you know, and they thought for a long time, well, we can't do that. No, you can continue doing it. It's how you do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, cool. Yeah. You got anything else, Raven? No, sir. Jim? No. I think uh, I think we got a really good interview. Yeah, I really enjoyed the time that we had together. I loved, you know, picking both your brains to to understand your concepts and your your heroes. I look forward to you know re- reading up on the, the last uh, two seasons, and uh, I think I'm gonna run out and and order that um, Fox uh, one shot and go back and buy the back issues because. I'm pretty hooked on your stuff now, and uh, I mean, I, the the Red Hook stuff blew me away, and uh, I can't recommend it enough to the Savage Dragon readers out there. So hopefully, our listeners will. The crazy thing is, it's all free on the webtoon, so it's it's you know they can pick it up or they can buy the I think it's volume one and two yep. at Image, right? The, the, which brings you through the second season yeah. or third season? Yeah. Oh, well, thanks, thanks, Craig, and, and again, I really appreciate you guys talking to us. Cool. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Appreciate it. Let's do it again when uh, we get some more Red Hook or other projects in the pipeline. Anytime. Thank you, fellas. Take it easy. All right.